Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity, on the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars. For Monday, December 18th. 2023. We're coming up to the end of the year here. It's a 13 more days. Lucky number 13. We're dealing with a lot of stuff here in New York. What do you mean, a lot of stuff? Horrible weather here on the West Coast. Yeah, that's the United States. Uh, we had... I was stuck in traffic for 40 minutes for an appointment this week, uh, this morning. After I left, hour and ten minutes ahead of time. Got there, and nobody else was there. That's where it goes sometimes, I came home. That's why we're doing a midday show. Hope everybody enjoyed the weekend. We had some issues last week, believe it or not. Tell you what, uh, 2024 hopefully is going to be a huge a year for us here in the uh, with Safety Wars, Safety FM, and everything else. Uh, we have a lot of stuff planned, and I'm making sure this is broadcast. Aye, aye. You're never sure with everything going on here. So last week... We did a show, and we replayed uh, it uh, several times. Uh, you know, uh, because once well, the way our software is set up, once we report it one time, we're able to report it. Yes, yes, there I am. Uh, or here we are. We're able to rebroadcast it again and again and again. So I want to make sure it got out there. We're getting a lot of movement on Twitter. What were what used to be Twitter now it's X. Uh, on the uh, on all this stuff here, uh, we're getting a lot of movement. We're getting a lot of stuff going on on there. Uh, with that, I want to thank all the new listeners that have come on, and uh, please like and share. So, who would have thought? Hard hats, right? And I still have them here from last week. A hard hat, and this is an old one, right? From way back in the day. Uh, would have been uh, people interested on, on him, but we were one of the first, if not the first, uh, news outlet in the safety field to give commentary. And as we had mentioned last week on hard hats, no, so OSHA is going recommending safety helmets, and they're doing that to that to their own people with their own people. Can you see that being used as a leading indicator? Meaning, someone's going to say you don't have a good safety program because you're not using the safety helmets in accordance to OSHA's recommendations. And then you got the other end. Well, it's a recommendation. It's not a regulation. I ain't following Gluvna. 
They could go, you know, uh, take a long walk off a short plank in the middle of the ocean. A little pirate uh, reference there. But anyway, they, uh, you know, you get this all the time. And I don't know if that's really conducive to what, uh, to making people safe. What should you be doing? As always, assessing the hazard, analyzing the hazard, and then acting accordingly. The triple A's, I call it the three A's of safety. Assess, analyze, act. Uh, that's what I've always done. Now, even before this recommendation, there were certain things that we had uh, recommended over the years for head protection. And let's remember, if you are relying on a hard hat or a safety helmet to protect yourself or any PP to protect yourself uh, exclusively, we know that that's going to fail. That's a failing strategy every time. Well, you say, well, Jim, what do you mean that's a failing strategy? What is safety? Safety, the absence of accidents or incidents and illnesses, or is it the presence of controls? In our world, human and organizational performance world, it is the presence of controls. So you go through the hierarchy of controls, which we're all familiar with. You engineer, uh, eliminate the hazard substitute, no, uh, replace a more hazardous thing for, no, activity with a less hazardous uh, thing. So maybe you could, uh, like with fall protection, rather uh, have, uh, no, prevent it, rather than having a fatality, now you have a back injury and, or whiplash, but you don't have a fatality. Well, what do you mean? Isn't fall protection PPE? Eh, not really. They call it that, but it's more of a substitution control because if you're going to be, uh, falling and deploying into fall protection, you will get hurt. Just the way it is. Join the new safety war shirt, number 16. Uh, now, that's just the way it is. It's, uh, you know, you're not going to get hurt. You're not going to get killed, but you're still going to get hurt. It does hurt. They said, well, that's PPE. No, it's not necessarily. Can you still get hurt with PPE? Obviously, but let's think of it that way. Or as we have with the uh, better way of saying it, better, good, better, best, right? The new hierarchy of controls. Much easier to understand. You don't get bogged down in the weeds. But what else do you have to worry about? Uh, because you have a hard hat doesn't mean that people could drop things on your head. Uh, because you're wearing a hard hat or a safety helmet doesn't mean that you don't have to eliminate cushion some overhead hazards in your workplace. Because you're wearing a, a hard hat doesn't mean that uh, you don't have to worry about, or a safety helmet, you don't have to worry about housekeeping, eliminating slips, trips, and, uh, slips and, trips and, uh, and fall hazards, same level falls. That doesn't mean any of that. Still have to do this stuff. Same thing, unless, uh, of course, you're from the New York, New Jersey area, just because you put a seatbelt on does not necessarily mean that it's okay to drive like a crazy person on the highway. Okay, I got my seatbelt on, right? But you think uh, that, that often happens here. Okay, news and views. Uh, a couple of stories we didn't get to last week with OSHA, and we're just going to go through 
everything uh, here. Uh, start with the oldest here, the oldest story we have. Now, these are all. These are all uh, again, uh, uh, like our intro says. Everyone's innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Uh, a lot of these uh, citations may or may not be vacated, uh, maybe negotiated downward, all different kinds of things to the end results. So these are just the preliminary uh, proposals, the preliminary citations, preliminary stuff that before things get contested and everything else that's out to you. Uh, a, and this is a uh, from the Department of Labor. Department of Labor finds two Houston contractors willfully ignored federal safety requirements, leading to fatal roof collapses at a high school. Uh, two companies were assessed a total of three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars in total proposed penalties. Federal investigation into the fatal collapse at Friendswood High School in June 2023, which four workers su suffered injuries, including one that later died, uh, found two Houston area contractors exposed employees to safety hazards by ignoring federal requirements to complete an engineering survey before demolition began. So this is a little bit of a different uh, hazard here, right? So uh, usually with a roof, you're dealing with fall hazards. Here you're dealing with a building collapse here fatal roof collapse, but you're dealing with a collapse here. And again, you have to have some type of a engineering study with that. Now, just because you're not doing demolition doesn't mean you don't have to have that engineering study. There has to be an assessment of whether or not that roof is going to hold whatever load you're going to put on it. So even with new construction, we often require an engineering assessment or a letter, something in writing from somebody who knows what the hell they're doing, right? Doesn't necessarily have to be a registered professional engineer, but that's nice if you have one. Uh, but essentially, you have to have some something that says that you can hold a load on a roof or on a floor even, right? If you're not on the roof. Uh, da -da -da -da. So here we go. Uh, uh, failed to complete, the company's failed to complete, and I'm, trying to avoid the use of names. Uh, the survey to uh, allow demolition to continue even after hazards became apparent to them. In fact, they directed employees, this is where they screwed up, uh, to continue to work on a structure that later collapsed on them. Ignoring federal standards and the company's own policies prevented them from identifying a load-bearing wall that was sh shown on construction drawings. Now, the accident last week that we saw in New York City with a building collapse in the Bronx, it turns out there might have been a similar thing that happened where a load-bearing structure, load-bearing wall, load-bearing beams, load-bearing something was misidentified as an architectural type thing or a design type thing as far as a... a, 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 fa a facade on there and there might have been you know, with that, artistic, architectural, whatever you want to call it, right? And not, and actually there was damage done to a load-bearing piece of structure. Uh, so ignoring federal standards and the company's own policies prevented them from identifying a load-bearing wall that was shown on construction drawings. This willful disregard for worker safety was a tragic mistake that cost a worker his life. 
OSHA issued citations to the companies, uh, to the two companies, the general contractor and the demolition contractor, for willfully ignoring federal requirements to complete an engineering survey. In addition, the agency cited a, one of the companies for three serious safety violations for its failures to protect workers from silica exposure and use respirators properly. So last week, I did a silica training and respiratory protection training. So this is a perfect example. The client says to me, Jimmy, why are we doing this? With this, seems like a waste of time because we're dealing with de minimis levels. I said, well, you might be doing that, but there may be other people on the job doing something, number one. Number two, just because it does, it's de minimis doesn't mean you don't have to do the training, any of this training. Number three, there may be a situation where something else happens on the job, and then they start digging through, and this is what they find, and do the silica training. We got everybody together, do everything we needed in one day. OSHA assessed a total of $315,000 plus in proposed penalties, including $175,010 for the uh, demolition contractor and $140,000 for the general contractor. Uh, founded, uh, blah, blah, blah. And one co- company is, uh, both companies are family-owned, especially uh, lives in lettuce, vests, and mold abatement and remediation and demolition. Now let's look up and see what we have here. For the one contractor... Emmanuel, oh, I'm not going to say the name. The LH violation below. Here you go. Citation one, item one, serious respiratory protection. People wearing respirators that had beards. All right. How much was that? 11,162. Again, this is enforcement, guys. You just got to enforce the rules. Citation one, item two, A, type of violation, serious. Uh, this was uh, 29 CFR 1926-1153 respirable crystalline silica. For each employee engaged in a task identified in Table 1, the employer did not fully and properly implement the engineering controls, work practices, and respiratory protections specified in Task Table 1. So you look in the silica standard, they have a Task Table 1 that has everything in there, what you're doing, what you're not doing, Uh Let's see. Maybe that may be worth a share here. Let me pull that up. Bear with me. We're going to go to commercial break for a second. Let me, so we don't have dead air here. Someone complained. Have you listened or watched uh, the Safety War Show? It does stream live on, on the radio and um, on the streamer emers that we have. So if you have not taken a listen to Jim Bozel and what the hell he's doing every evening with uh, Safety Wars, I would, I would strongly encourage you to, um, to take a view or take a listen, um, whichever option is available for you, and take a listen to what the hell he has going on. Uh, it's definitely, it will take some deep dives and some information that you might be interested in. 
Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Pozel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Yes, I am your father. Okay, here we have... Let's get the right aspect here. All right. This is table one, what they're talking about here in the uh, uh, citation. Now, this is table one, specified exposure control methods of working with materials containing crystalline silica. And it has everything in here that you're going to need uh, for this, right? Uh, you, I, and I would use this table and its recommendations prior to prior to an exposure assessment, an industrial hygiene assessment. You always want to get an, an industrial hygiene assessment. Uh, my opinion here, this is not a regulation, it's my opinion, uh, because if you're ever asked questions, yeah, we have an industrial hygiene audit here. We did some air sampling to verify everything. But here we have here, right? So the equipment or task, engineering and work practice control methods, and then on column three, require respiratory protection and minimum aside protection factor. And it goes through here, right? Uh, none. So here we have uh, this one, handheld power saws. All right. You saw a clip with integrated water delivery system. That's your engineering control that feeds continuous water to the blade. Operate and maintain tool in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions. When used outdoors... For less than four hours, no respiratory protection. All right. Greater than four hours, you need an APF 10, uh, a sun protection factor 10. That would mean a half-face respirator, an appropriate one. I always recommend, and again, this is a NIOSH-approved respirator. I always recommend a P100, right? P100, N100, R100. When used indoors or in an enclosed area, APF 10, right, that's the same thing. Now, can you use less than that? Yeah, you can use a, a filtering face piece respirator. But what this is what it is. Nobody ever treats those respirators with respect. So I always say, get the real respirator. Get the real thing. P100 uh, on that. With that. Okay. Right? And now, this is now on the right-hand side here. Less than or equal to four or greater than four hours, that's an administrative control. So you have a lot of stuff going on here with that. And then you could go down with that. So generally speaking, APF 10 or APF 25 with that. But again, this is why you always do the air sampling because you may be in exceedance of that. Okay, going on here. All right, here we go. High efficiency, particularly there. Filter means a filter at least 99.97% efficient in removing monodispersed particles of 0.3 micrometers in diameter. So that is, in effect, 
P100 cartridge, right? When I said less, what I meant was you could use a filtering face feast that's a P100 or N100 or R100. But I would not do anything less than an elastomeric respirator with the P100 cartridge. Uh, that's it. Uh, with that, end of discussion. With that, uh, followed up with air sampling always. And going on, uh, let's see what else we have here. This is if you have a booth, an exposure assessment. The employer shall assess the exposure of each employee who is or may reasonably be expected to be exposed to respirable uh, respirable crystal at or above the action level in accordance with the performance of uh, option in paragraph D2I, performance option. The employer shall assess the 8-hour TWA exposure for each employee on the basis of any combination of air monitoring data or objective data sufficiently to accurately characterize employee exposures to restful crystalline silica. Here you go. Scheduled monitoring option. The employer, like I said, just use that table for the initial on there, but you got to do the air sampling here. The employer shall perform initial monitoring to assess the eight-hour TWA exposure for each employee on the basis of one or more personal breathing zone air mo- samples to reflect the exposures of employees on each shift for each job classification in each work area where several employees perform the same task in the same shift in the same work area, the employer may sample a representative fraction of these employees in order to meet this requirement. And representative sampling employer shall sample the employees, employer or employees who are expected to have the highest exposure level. Right? If initial monitoring indicates that employee exposures are below the action level, the employer may discontinue the use. Going on. And it goes on. You can go and read it for yourself. I don't want to read the whole thing here on the air, but it's 1926-1153-D. But that's the whole thing. So let's go a little bit more clarification For each employee, this is 1153C, for each employee engaged in a task identified in Table 1, the employer shall fully and properly implement the engineering controls, work practices, and rest as administrative controls, respiratory uh, protections specified for the task on Table 1, unless the employer uh, assesses and limits the exposure of the employee to respirable uh, crystalline silica in accordance with the paragraph D. How does this work out? This is what I do. When we're going in and we're doing the actual uh, uh, right beginning of the work, we go by the table. We do the, uh, unless it's something obvious, we follow the table. We do exposure monitoring, and then we make a determination. Now, un, un, uh, uh, almost every time here with everything, right, almost every time, all right, even if they do come up with things below the exposure limit, the action level, the permissible exposure limit, and everything else, my clients still give out respiratory protection because they can't, a lot of times, unless you're there actually holding the hand of employees 
you have to verify, you know, and you, have, you know, a lot of times you can't verify they're going to do everything 100% correct with this. Just the way it is here uh, with that. Okay, going back to the actual thing. Let me stop sharing here. If I don't stop sharing, I'm going to put it on where I'm not supposed to put it on. All right, that's 15625 They were using a uh, demolition hammer to uh, demolish concrete walls and did not have the water delivery or dust collection system. 15000 there. Citation item 2B. The employer did not assess the exposure of each employee who was or may be reasonably expected to be exposed uh, right, uh, to respirable crystal silica at or above the action level in accordance with either performance option in blah, 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 or the scheduled monitoring option in D23. On or about, blah, 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 in area P, where the employer did not assess employee exposure to restful crystal silica when employees used a certain piece of equipment to demolish concrete masonry laws, uh, uh, walls, that was 11,162. Here we have citation two, item one. Willful serious, an engineering survey was not performed by a competent person. What's a confident person? Someone who's able to assess the hazards and do, pardon me, something to act on those hazards. Right? To determine, uh, right? So that was not done. That was $156,259. Okay. Next set. Here. Ah, they formatted this document a little bit differently this year, this time. For the other contractor who was the uh, general contractor, what did they nab them on? They're cited for... Do, do, do. Citation one, item one, serious. Of, right, so it was for one thing... An engineering survey was not performed by a competent person to determine the conditions of the framing floors and walls, the possibility of unplanned collapse of any portion of the structure prior to permitting employees to start demolition operations. So that was one citation, $156,259. A lot of money, guys. A milling company agrees to pay $1.8 million in penalties and make comprehensive safety improvements after... A 2017 corn mill explosion killed five workers. So it took six years, six and a little bit over six and a half years for this to be settled out here, right? Shaken out. The U.S. Department of Labor has reached a settlement agreement with a milling company in Wisconsin that requires the milling company to pay more than $1.8 million in penalties after May 31st, 2017 explosion that killed five workers and injured more than a dozen others. The company has also agreed to make extensive safety and health improvements at the facility. All right. And I'm just making sure we're still running here. 
The agreement was... Uh, blah, blah, blah. So what are, what are they agreeing to? According to the news release from the DOL, Department of Labor, the milling company has agreed to make extensive safety improvements, including the following. One, safety and health management systems within six months with input from management and workers create a safe and create a safety committee. Meet with OSHA at least yearly to discuss safety and health issues. Work with third-party experts to ensure mechanical integrity of key pieces of equipment. Conduct hazards analysis on green dust and the need for FRC, flame-resistant personal protective garments. I can tell you, if they're saying you have to evaluate it, you probably need to do it. Just my experience. Provide time, equipment, staffing, and training related to combustible dust housekeeping, mechanical integrity, equipment inspection, tests, and preventative maintenance. Develop a management of change program. That's an MOC program, they call that. And procedures overseen by a qualified person knowledgeable in the fire and deflagration hazards of agricultural or food dust. So maybe we'll do a demo on this one day. You could have dust, flour, right? Let's try flour. Have it here in your hand and it's not going to burn. Take it and suspend it like this. Throw it out. Over a flame, you're going to have a massive explosion. Don't try it at home, kids. But uh, that's a lot of the times what the issue is with this, especially with housekeeping. I'm not saying this is what happened here. Let me get this straight. But oftentimes, when you're dealing with organic dust hazards, uh, with that and flammable dust hazards, what happens is you get an accumulation of material, right? So it's up in the rafters. This happened at one of my uh, places where my brother worked with metal dust that had turning oil on it from the cutting oil. And what happens is it gets lodged up there in the rafters or somewhere else, a wind or another event off. Some, it might even be like an earthquake or something that shakes the building somehow. And all this dust comes raining down slowly, finds an ignition source, and boom, you're done. That's uh, uh, often what happens here. So create an incident reporting and investigation system to identify incidents such as severe near misses, severe injuries, combustible dust fire, deflagration, deflagration, explosion events, they're not the same, and material releases. Conduct emergency planning and response training with the local fire department annually, if practical. Train employees on everything you just did within 30 days of implementation. Conduct training in languages understood by employees. Now, the settlement follows the October 13, 2023 convictions of the company vice president and his former safety superintendent by a federal jury in Madison, Wisconsin. And again, what did they do? Falsify documents and obstruct an OSHA investigation. Dude or dudes. They're federal freaking agents. You really think they're going to let you get away with that? With obstruction of justice? Really? You're really going to stonewall them. See what happens. Well, you found out what happened. What do they call that? F-O-F-O? Yeah, well, come on. The company pleaded guilty on September 29, 2023 to charges related to falsifying the mill's cleaning and backhouse logs and agreed to pay restitution of $10 million 
to the 2017 explosion's victims and a $1 million criminal fine. Again, companies can be held criminally liable. Uh, often the uh, uh, officers are responsible people on the federal level. This is state level, different story. In New York, you're pretty much screwed with this. Uh, in addition, other company officials have pleaded guilty and await sentencing for U.S. Court Judge uh, James C. Peterson for the Western District of Wisconsin and various charges related to the incident. These include guilty pleas by shift superintendents, there's three of them, for making false statements. It's an obstruction of justice, I think, or perjury. By shift superintendent for obstructing the OSHA's investigation, by former environmental manager for conspiring to conceal violations from regulators by falsifying compliance certifications and providing falsified logs. Uh, I don't know. Uh, this is, I don't even know what to say on here. Let's take a little bit of a break here. And it's Monday, so we have a special message. This is Safety Wars, broadcasting to our brothers and sisters in the occupied territory of behavior-based safety. Get out your secret decoder ring. Here is your nightly message. Human error is normal. Human error is normal. In a world where danger lurks in every corner, one man stands as a beacon of hope. Jim Polzel, a veteran safety expert with over three decades of experience, now bringing his knowledge to you with Safety Wars. Engaging, informative, and always relevant, that's Safety Wars. Join a safety revolution with Safety Wars, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts and videos. And... Okay, that was rather abrupt. <sighs> Got to straighten that one out. All right, uh, let's see some non-OSHA news here. That's safety-related. Again, we do safety-related kinds of stuff. We do non-safety-related, well, you know, meaning OSHA. But we also do what's out there in society. There are things going on, right? News and views on that. And there's always a safety uh, angle to this. All right. Uh, let's go here. U.S. Army faces TikTok mutiny as Gen Z recruits whine about low pay, move no food, and fitness tests while on bases in uniform. 
This is on uh, from the DailyMail.com. Uh, no, I'm sorry, DailyMail.co.uk. All right. Brazen posts represent audacious challenge and top brass amid recruitment crisis. One of the posts by a military influencer, and I'm not going to mention his name, uh, slams army life. He says he spent the whole day watching TikToks while supposedly fighting the Taliban. U.S. Army is facing a TikTok mutiny as Gen Z recruits are taken to social media to whine about low pay, move no food, and fitness tests. The brazen post by uniformed troops on U.S. faces represent an audacious challenge uh, to top brass amid recruitment crisis. The Army fell short of its target by 25%. One of the posts by military influencer slams Army life for having no privacy. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I was never in the military, but I think even I know that. There's no privacy. The pay sucks. Okay. But there are other reasons why you want to go into the military, I would hope. Right? Bad food. Disrespectful leadership. And no sleep. Uh, later, uh, the person more than... Uh, from Chicago, has more than a million followers on TikTok and made public comments in uniform while on a mission in the desert. In another post, he claimed that he spent the whole day watching TikToks while supposedly fighting the Taliban. It gives a woeful impression of America's fighting force uh, to potential recruits, which has likely caused further animosity towards TikTok from critics. Politicians from both sides have concerns about the platform's links with China. Remember, TikTok is a Chinese company, and all Chinese companies are part of the Chinese military. That's just the way it is. And accused of pushing subversive anti-U.S. Uh, propaganda. I don't know. Uh, the Navy, ex and then they're all different recruitment goals and everything. And yeah, they've been going on with this for years. With this. Uh, it's cultural. With this, doctors and meltdown as mystery China virus stops responding to all antibiotics. Well, we know that antibiotics are not normally given for viruses; they're given for secondary infections or as a prophylactic to secondary infections. I'm not a medical doctor; I don't play one on TV or the radio, uh, or in the internet for that matter, right? But no, they're given as a prophylactic, meaning preventative against bacterial infections if you have a virus. That's normally with that. So I'm not exactly getting this. Uh, this is from the Daily Star. Doctors worldwide are in meltdown after China confirmed there is a mystery pneumonia taking over the country and stopped all responding to all antibiotics. While some are questioning the fact that viruses normally don't respond to antibiotics, experts are yet to confirm the nature of the virus and a first-hand account from a mum in China details what exactly she was told by a Chinese doctor. Um, with that, I tell you what, uh, we're going through respiratory viruses like you wouldn't believe. Everyone has one here in New York, it seems. One of the friends of the program, probable sinus infection from a virus or something is impacting his teeth. Uh, so everybody's in there, yeah, with this. Yeah, I I don't know. Why all of a sudden is this happening is my question. 
CDC sounds major alarm as new highly contagious COVID variant grips the U.S. The new COVID variant, we have experience with that here, as uh, JN1 has sparked concern among scientists due to its rapid growth rate and large number of mutations. What are the symptoms? A new COVID variant is spreading fast in the U.S. and is highly contagious. A doctor who specializes in infectious diseases has warned. The new variant, JN1, is a heavily mutated new strain and is now the fastest-growing variant in the country, according to the CDC. The variant currently accounts for more than one-fifth of all infections in the U.S. It comes as Joe Biden's former COVID advisor admitted the virus was possibly leaked from a Chinese lab. Okay, who is that person? That is Dr. Raj Punjabi. The former special assistant to President Joe Biden has seen uh, a key COVID-19 advisor has conceded the global pandemic might have, might have originated from a laboratory leak in Wuhan. And he was said this, when did he say this? Last Wednesday at a conference in New York City. Uh, again, President Biden, who previously criticized President Trump's suggestion of a Chinese lab origin, as naked xenopho- nakedly xenophobic, quote-unquote, now faces a notable shift in perspective. Oh, well, you know, don't criticize people because you are putting it in context and you have a little bit of an idea of what they're dealing with. Or as the traditional saying goes, do not criticize a man until you walked in issues. Ottawa expected to release promised EV sales regulation on Tuesday. That's tomorrow. Automakers, and this is from CBC's uh, Canada. Uh, article by David Thurton from CBC News. Automakers are set to get a jolt Tuesday when an Ottawa when Ottawa unveils its promised electric vehicle regulation. CBC News has learned that Ottawa will release its Final regulations, it says, will ensure that all new passenger cars sold in Canada by 2035 are zero-emission vehicles. The source, who is not authorized to speak publicly, said the new regulations are meant to ensure that automakers reduce enough affordable zero-emission vehicles to meet the demand. Believe me, they're phasing out cars. They want to phase out cars, period. They've been talking about this for, no, uh, no, uh, they've been talking about this stuff, uh, for many years with that, phasing out cars. Now, here we have another one here. A And the first time I heard about this was in, I believe, 1990, 1991. And this is how long they've been planning this one out with this. Why do I remember this crap and I can't remember my daughter's phone number? I have no idea. Full charge. New road plans promise to charge electric vehicles while driving. People are calling it a tremendous revolution. Evolution. Electric vehicle owners have been notified of new road plans that promise to act as charging station as cars drive on them. In Florida, between Lake and Orange counties, EV enthusiasts are excited for what has been dubbed a tremendous evolution. The Central Florida Expressway Authority confirmed the approval of an expressway development between the counties that will link Highway 27 and State Route 429 on Thursday per NBC affiliate WESH. CFX's governing board unanimously approved the first phase of the toll road's construction will be called State Route 516. 
The authority's manager of community engagement, Brian Hutchings, told the outlet that the con- conception came out of data that showed only a few roads connected in connected the counties, which are among the fastest growing areas of the state. Let's see. Okay. It would charge EVs as they drive on it through coils under the pavement. And uh, again, I've heard of uh, this many, many years ago. No, new technology is pretty cool uh, with that. Mm -hmm. Let's see. I don't want to talk about this. All right. Climate migration may become abandonment as people flee flooding. We're going to talk about this today in Jamaica Bay. That's part of New York State. Uh, climate migration is already taking place within American communities. New data finds as people flee. This is from Axios. As people, uh, one of the popular, uh, here, I lost my trap. New data finds that people flee flood prone areas and create climate abandonment zones. My hometown of Woodbridge went through this in uh, 2012 where half the town was well, Woodridge proper was flooded, a good chunk of the town, and whole neighborhoods were uh, abandoned and uh, bought out. Uh, now it's a nice park, right? Uh, fresh research published Monday morning uh, from a team of scientists at the nonprofit First Street Foundation. Their outside partners include population data down to the census block level. It reveals climate change-related shifts underway at a local scale. Uh Okay, so as we're world warms, sea levels are increasing, like they have been for the last 25,000 years, causing more coastal flooding. And it talks about this floods today. At the macro level, Americans are leaving the Rust Belt in droves and heading to areas of greater climate risk in the south and southwest, said Jeremy Porter, a study co-author and head of the climate change implications for the First Street Foundation. But this is mass other changes taking place at the local level, which is where more moves occur as people try to stay close, try to stay close to their support networks. Research was presented uh, in a report on the foundation's website with the underlying methodology published Monday in the peer-reviewed journal Nature Communications. It shows that during the 2000-2020 period, about 818,000 census blocks experienced flood-related population declines. Researchers classify these areas as climate abandonment areas. The counting, one counting risky areas is expected to become abandonment areas if researchers found those places or lose 7.5 million residents over the next 30 years due to flooding. What's that going to do for the whole uh, voting thing, right? Apportionment. With that, again, I don't know what, what to say. Uh, we have... Uh, situations in this country where communities that should have gone under many years ago we keep trying to keep there for whatever reason Uh, they get trying to get reinvented and everything else so we used to have what are called ghost towns we even had ghost towns here in uh, new york new jersey eastern pennsylvania area uh all through appalachia that are you know the the economies change, shit happens. They got to move away. It's just the way it is. Now, 
A Tesla Cybertruck gets stuck in California forests. And now, right, this is from the LA Times. Did you see this? A, a Cybertruck was sliding down a snowy embankment with a Christmas tree tied to its roof, went viral, went viral on social media. And uh, here we go. This was my, my take on it. This is from Forest Service spokesman Benjamin Castle, right? Uh, from the Stanislaus National Forest issued a news release offering a partner with Tesla on an education campaign regarding off-road vehicle use. Let's take a look at that news release here. Uh, we were, oh, we were, no, and he goes on, no. We are always thrilled when we, we when new opportunities to explore our public lands become available, said the National Forest Service Supervisor Jason Cookin. But feel there may be, but feel there may be work to be done in educating users about our motor vehicle usage maps. VUM, M-U-V-U-M, MVUM. Cookin was responding to a recent incident in the forest involving a Tesla Cybertruck apparently lost traction and slid down an embankment on a well-known off-road vehicle area uh, on the forest Calvaris Ranger District while harvesting a Christmas tree in a moment that has since gone viral on social media. We feel confident that had the, had the driver of the Cybertruck had a better understanding of the topograph, topographical feature indicating indicated on our maps, practice leave no trace behind for principles and generally have been more prepared this whole incident could have been not only avoided but also provided much needed education to many many new off-road users across the u.s forest service region 5 encompassing all of california hawaii and other pacific island partners there are more than 15,000 blah 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 trails now my brother and i my brother john and i always used to have these conversations Right, and it, he was really big on this whole thing because, again, in the 1980s, everybody had homemade four by four off-road vehicles, everything else. Or if you had a four by four vehicle, you heavily modified it. You still get that in a lot of areas of the country. A lot of people do that, but it's not like it was from what I was seeing in the 1980s when I grew up. Here. Right, then, then yeah, you could go back in all the movies. You had Bigfoot, right? The uh, Ford, uh, monster truck, and all this other stuff. Okay, great. But we always had this conversation. We were getting these people that normally did not grow up in that culture, right? Getting four wheel drive vehicles or front wheel drive vehicles, and all of a sudden it's like giving someone a respirator with no training. I'm invincible. I cannot, uh, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm wearing a uh, imitation surgical mask. Now I could go into an ideal H environment, blah, blah, blah. Sort of like that with the Cybertruck because we're getting people who probably a lot of times did not, never drove off road maybe and need some kind of training, need some time of something. Uh, this type of uh, situation was identified with a Tesla competitor a couple years ago might have been last winter where they got where the whole system shut down on here and it was designed to shut down and they ended up costing an astronomical amount of money to get them out of the woods with this so maybe some education is needed the big thing with four-wheel drive vehicles is this 
Four-wheel drive gets you going. doesn't make you stop so much. Number one. Number two, as long the wheels are turning and at a slow speed, you have more traction. A lot of times people don't get that. So, for example, I was uh, pushing a guy up a mountain and uh, 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 going into, I believe it was Jersey City from Hoboken. There's a big, long hill. And I said to the gentleman, what you want to do is we'll push you up the hill, but, dude, you need to go. Just don't put your foot on the gas. Just take your foot off the gas. Wheels will turn real slow. You have some traction. We push you up the hill. It's not going to be so bad. You only had to push maybe 50 foot up this little hill. Not a big deal. There's like five of us. What do you think the guy does? Jams that thing all the way down. Car is fished out. I said, look, don't do that. Second time he does it, I said, you know what? I'm not getting myself run over here by by this guy. You can do whatever you want. You don't want to follow instructions. Oh, well. Uh... Now, then what happened was I stopped by there the next morning. The car was left there. Can't make this stuff up, guys. You know? Uh, again, training program. The, the forest ranger has a very good, uh, uh, very good point there. Okay, we're at 53 minutes. Here we have... Another one here, and this is from uh, georgialawnews.com. This was one of the first things that I uh, commented on with this program, I believe. So, uh, January 20th, 2021, a tragic and entirely avoidable liquid nitrogen leak. This is before Safety Wars, so I did comment on this on LinkedIn, I believe. A tragic and entirely avoidable liquid nitrogen leak occurred at a poultry plant in Gainesville, Georgia, killing six workers. Now, uh, going on, right, this thing was all resolved here. But this is what happened. They went and they did the investigation, they meaning OSHA. I'm sure the Chemical Safety Board and other things like that went there. They found out this. Uh, immigrant workers suffer 300 more workplace deaths and 61,000 more workplace injuries each year uh, than regular uh, people, right? 37% are paid less than the minimum wage. 76% are victims of wage theft. A nationwide survey found that undocumented workers are nearly twice as likely to violate the minimum wage as their U.S. foreign counterparts in the same jobs. In 2020, 65% of workers' deaths were attributed to, to immigrants and in 2021, 727 Latin American immigrants were killed at work. I was having a conversation at New Jersey City University on Friday regarding all of this stuff and the need for continuing ed- education and non-credit courses for... <coughs> Hold on. For uh, at-risk communities. And this is a perfect segue, and then so I'm going to send this over to the group. On here, uh, but basically, what's needed is is that uh, and no, this is earlier this year, but it just came across the wire today. Uh, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security announced new guidance establishing a process for workers in labor disputes to request temporary protection from deportation. So they're not reporting things because they're afraid of 
ice. Uh, again, uh, I think we covered some of this back in January, but something, you know, you have uh, a new take on here. You have people not cooperating with the investigation because they're afraid of being uh, with that. Uh, here we have a on the first on the uh, March twelfth, twenty twenty four. So uh, what I well, often what companies do is that they browse all these HR websites, or they they have an HR subscription to some of these uh, sources, and every year new laws are coming in. So uh, as far as uh, employment laws, and they usually take place January, and the one here in New York. It's really important because it's a civil rights issue here at at work, and there was recent litigation on this. Uh, I don't know how it's going to turn out with the uh, Supreme Court of the United States in relation to government uh, uh, gun permits and getting a gun permit on here. A very similar thing. So New York AB eight thirty six was passed, right? And the main topic was privacy and data security. What's the summary of the law? Prohibits employers from requesting or requiring employees or applicants to disclose any username, password, or other means for assessing a personal account or service through specified electronic communication devices. And the effective date is March 12th. Something to think about here. Is your employer asking you as a condition of employment to disclose social media. And this is one of the things that uh, we have. I have children and tweens that, uh, right, with this, we, uh, we talk about social media use all the time. Things you put on the internet. And it's real simple. Don't put anything on the internet. Because, uh, again, I said to my son, I said, when you apply for college or for jobs, don't think that these employers are not going to go back to when you're 10 years old because they do it. There have been documented cases, especially with colleges. Uh, I, we know of one family whose son lost out on a full-ride scholarship uh, when he was 18 because of a tweet that he made when he was 11. It was a racist tweet. It was, uh, in reality, when he made the tweet, wasn't really a racist thing, but now our culture is getting much more sensitive to that. And all of a sudden it was like, look, this is a real bad racist thing, right? When he made it, not so much. Now, years later, oh, how racist they are. And this is, I'm not saying yes or no, that's a good or a bad thing, but society changes, right? I remember growing up in New Jersey, in the mid uh, 1970s and 80s, and right, things were said, things were done. Today, it's totally socially unacceptable with that, uh, right? And some things that were socially unacceptable then aren't socially acceptable now. So things change, and you got to be careful what you put out there. I use that as a warning to myself too. Okay, uh, what else do we have here? That's it. I'm going to wrap it up here and uh, we're going to close out with our normal stuff. And 
or is our outro? Okay. Uh, we will see you back here, uh, God willing, tomorrow. Still going to probably be a pre-recorded program. Uh, tomorrow we have some stuff going on. But uh, thank you for sticking with us here. We're coming up on our 300th programs uh, in short order here. And that's where we are. Come on. Where is that outro? Bear with me a second here, folks. There it is. Okay. And... Views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.